There we go. Hey, hey, Christ community, so glad you are here. Uh, greetings to our traditions venue, those watching, on, and as well as those watching online from all over the place. Um, we hear about you around the world, so that's really, really cool. So glad all of you are joining us. So uh, I wanted to start by asking a question. As you think about your life, as you think about your time, um, and this, maybe this coming week or a typical day, how much of your time, what percentage of your life is spent doing spiritual things? Well, what percentage of a typical day is spent doing spiritual activities? Now, I'm guessing most of our answers to that question are probably somewhere in the, you know, pretty low, maybe like 5%, I don't know, in a typical day or week, we're engaged in spiritual things, like going to church and praying and being in a Bible study or having a conversation about God or whatever. But, but, the, but really, the vast majority of our time in a typical week, typical day, the vast majority of our time is spent doing life, right? Work or school, ordinary things like eating, exercise or sleep or driving kids to their soccer practice or getting groceries or watching Netflix or whatever, stuff that doesn't feel very spiritual. Now, what if I told you that in the Old Testament, which is the Bible that Jesus used, in the Old Testament, the word spiritual is never mentioned. In fact, in the Hebrew language, they don't even have a word for spiritual. And do you know why that is? It's because for the Jewish people, for a Jewish person, all of life was spiritual. All of life was spiritual. When, when, when you're walking along the road or when you're plowing your field or when you were hanging out with friends or when you were playing with your kids or, or, or whatever, when you were singing songs in a synagogue, all of those activities were spiritual. See, they believed, they believed that God wanted to be involved in every part of our lives. And because of that, no part of our life was less spiritual than another part of our life. God wants to be involved, they believed, God wants to be involved in every square inch of our lives, which is a really, really cool thought. And the implications are profound, as we're going to see. Today we find ourselves in a Bible passage where we see this principle applied in a huge area of our lives, and that is the area of our work, our vocation. Over the course of our lives, most of us will spend a large portion of our life in various vocations, right? Being a student or a homemaker, an interior designer, a nurse, an athlete, a teacher, a coach, a, a truck driver, a, a, a car salesperson, a builder, a writer, an electrician, an artist, right? A, an accountant, a receptionist, a landscaper, a retiree or whatever. A large portion of our life, a significant percentage of our life, of a typical week, is spent involved in our vocation. And whatever our vocation is, most of us have consciously or subconsciously concluded that our work is not that spiritual. I mean, we know it's sort of spiritual because God is in everything, but, but our day-to-day -day reality and our day-to-day -day reality, our work doesn't feel that spiritual. It doesn't really feel like it's very impactful in terms of what God really cares about, you know, in terms of what God values. It's certainly not on par with praying or, or going to church or, you know, work is just work. But that's not how the Bible sees it. It's not how the Bible sees it. From a biblical perspective, our work, our vocation 
is absolutely spiritual. It is to be an act of worship. So what does that look like? Well, we get some answers to that in the passage that we find ourselves in today. Um, And before we go there, let me specifically address those of you who are retired and are perhaps thinking, ah, I should have uh, stayed home. No, Uh, or whatever. Uh, This message doesn't really apply to me. You know, I'm done working. Hey, hey, here's the deal. From a biblical perspective, you are not done working. You may be done getting a paycheck from a company, but you are still very much a part of God's purposes, his work. Much of what we're talking about today applies in your situation as well. And let me also say, your life has just as much kingdom significance now as before you retired, maybe even more. Maybe even more. One of the greatest resources for kingdom advancement is retirees who love Jesus and are eager to serve him in in this season of their lives. We need you. The kingdom of God needs you. Christ's community. You are a vital part of Christ's community. Okay, so if you have your Bible, um, feel free to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. We're working our way through the book of Ephesians. We find ourselves in this passage. And before I read this passage, I want to remind us this passage was technically not written to us. It was not written directly to us. It was written to a group of Jesus followers in the city of Ephesus about 2,000 years ago. And so there are some cultural things in this passage that, we're gonna, that are going to feel very troubling, even offensive to us in our cultural context. And that's okay. I would just ask you to not jump to conclusions before hearing this whole message, okay? So let's start in verse 5. Slaves... Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Whoa, 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 okay. Did did that verse say what I think it said? Did Paul just tell slaves to obey their masters? Are you kidding me? Is the Bible endorsing slavery? What, What is going on here? Again, this is where we really need to understand the cultural context these words were originally written in. Before we jump to conclusions about how they, or what this is saying to us today and what it's not saying. See, in that culture, slavery was a very common institution. It was a part of life. And some of that slavery in that time period was plantation-like slavery, just like two centuries ago in America. It was horrible, evil, dehumanizing from the pit of hell. That form of slavery makes all of us just want to puke. That is not the slavery that Paul is referring to here. Paul was writing to a group of believers in Ephesus, which was a very large metropolitan city. And slavery in that context was more of an indentured servant situation. Someone becoming a slave in order to pay off a financial debt. So many slaves in that culture, they actually, they, they actually purchased their own freedom. They became, many of them became Roman citizens um, because they just worked off their debt. So so the relational dynamic, the nature of slavery in Ephesus, it was still immoral, but it was not the dehumanizing form of slavery that we instinctively envision when we hear the word slave. The church in Ephesus had slaves and masters attending and worshiping together, um, worshiping Jesus together. So Paul wanted to address how following Jesus impacts those relationships. Now, this doesn't mean, this does not mean that Paul is endorsing this form of slavery. He's not. 
In the book of Philemon, later in the New Testament, Paul actually urges his friend to let a slave go free. So Paul is not endorsing this practice. What he's doing here, he's simply talking about what it looks like to, to follow Jesus in the midst of a culture where certain structures are in place that don't reflect the heart of God. Okay, so with all of that kind of uh, pre-stuff, how do we take a passage like this and apply it to our situation. Well, while it's not a perfect analogy, what Paul is describing in this passage is actually very similar to an employer-employee relationship in our culture, where someone is working for someone else. Someone is under another person's authority. Sure, we're not legally bound to our jobs, but in a way, we have no other choice. How else are we gonna put food on our table? So the principles Paul articulates for that culture can be applied to our work situations. And in that context, we begin to see, it's very, very cool, we begin to see some specific ways in which our work can actually be spiritual. In which our work can be spiritual. Ways in which our work can actually be an act of worship to God. So, so now let me read the entire passage and for the sake of our context, we just have added the word employer and employee just so that we kind of remind, or boss or whatever, just so we remind ourselves um, the context here. So, slaves, employees, obey your earthly master, boss, with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, bosses, treat your slaves, employees, in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. This is God's word. Okay, so Paul here, he's really addressing two situations. He's addressing those of us who are under someone else's authority and those who are in authority over others. And for many of us, we're both, right? We have some people under us, and we have other, we're, we're under the authority of other people. And again, these principles, they, they apply in other contexts where there is an issue of authority. So this could also be a student-teacher relationship. It could be a, an athlete-coach uh, relationship. It's not just about work. It's about our attitude towards people in authority over us and under us. Now, this is one of those passages that thankfully, as a, as a teacher, as a preacher, it's helpful when, when the entire passage gets summarized in one verse. And that's what happens here. In verse 7, Paul actually gives us a summary statement of this entire passage. So let's read this summary statement out loud together. Here we go, verse 7. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. See, this is what it looks like for a follower of Jesus to work in a way that honors Christ. It's what it looks like to have our work actually be a spiritual activity, to have our work be something that God is vitally a part of. Now, in this summary statement, Paul gives us the what and the why. Both of those are really important. He gives us the what and he gives us the why. So first of all, let's talk about the what. What does it look like to have our work be a spiritual activity? Here's what it looks like. Serve with all your heart. Serve with all your heart. That's what it looks like. 
serve with all your heart. What, what does that mean specifically? Well, as Paul says here, it means you do what your boss asks you to do, or you do what your coach or your teacher tells you to do. Paul says, obey your earthly masters. Do what they tell you to do, and not in a way that is disrespectful. Do it, Paul says, do it with sincerity of heart. The reality is, all of us know this, we can technically obey our boss while inwardly we're resisting. We all know how to do this, right? We, we drag our feet on a project or an assignment or we work, we work half-heartedly because we don't really like what they're telling us to do. We don't agree with them. We don't want to do it. So we obey on the surface but not really obey in our heart. And one of the specific ways we do this, as Paul points out in verse 6, it's when we obey only when they're watching. It's when we obey only when they're, when they're watching, only when their eye is on us. So, so we're trying to impress them. We're working really hard when we know the boss is around, when, when they're watching. But when they're not around, we're goofing off, playing video games, looking at Instagram on work time, giving half-hearted effort. See, Paul says that's not how a follower of Jesus works. That's not how a follower of Jesus works. A follower of Jesus does their job wholeheartedly when the boss is looking and when he or she is not looking. When the coach has his eye on you in the weight room and when there's no one around watching you. It doesn't matter. See, here's the deal. A Christ follower should be the hardest worker in a company or on a team or in a classroom. A Christ follower should be the hardest worker in a company or on a team or in a classroom. See, one of the best ways to show respect for God and to make your work spiritual is to work hard at what you do. It is to be good at what you do. So if you're gonna put a Jesus fish on your business card, you better back that up with hard work and excellence. Otherwise, don't put the fish on there. Don't try to use your Christianity to get more clients if you're not honoring Christ in the way you work and the excellence you bring to the job you do. See, so often, you know, we as Christ followers, we think that our work is only valuable to God if it allows us opportunities, lots of opportunities to talk to people about Jesus, right? So that we, we think our work is really only valuable if we're able to talk about Jesus. And, and let, me, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, let me admit, and this is, we all agree, it's great when we do have opportunities, right? That's awesome when God opens the door for that. But if that's the only measurement for how valuable our work is to God, is how many times we get to talk about Jesus during our work. If that's the only measurement, no wonder so many of us feel like our work doesn't really matter to God. But that's not how Paul, that's not Paul's perspective here. Paul doesn't say, hey, slaves, no matter what your master tells you to do, just try to share the gospel with as many people as possible. The work you do, it, it's really just a way to share Jesus. Your work doesn't matter. It's really just a way to share Jesus with people. No, Paul doesn't say that. Paul says, your work has value in and of itself. The way you work can bring honor to God or it can do the opposite. 
when, when you are boldly talking about Jesus all the time and you got all the Jesus stuff on your office, that's fine to do that. But when you're boldly talking about Jesus all the time and yet you're always late with your projects or you don't follow through with things or you do mediocre work, your work is actually negatively impacting your witness. It would be better if they didn't know you were a Christian, if that's the way you work. Because what we do and how we do it reflects on God. Again, all of life is spiritual. All of life is spiritual. All of life is an opportunity to reflect the wonder of who God is. I mean, do you see any half-heartedness in the way God works? So just think about Genesis 1 when he was working um, in that whole section, right? Then he took a break. Um, Day 7 took a break. But otherwise, he was working. It says that's the language that he uses in the Bible. So in Genesis 1, God's creating this world. And in the midst of all that creating, he periodically steps back and he looks at his handiwork. And what's his response? Yeah, that's okay. No, what is, what is, what's his response? This is good. This is good. I mean, God does good work. Like sunsets, mountains, you know, oceans, that's, that's good. Good work. God does good work. And if we want to help others see how good God is, we are to do good work. We as Christ followers are to do good work as well. Serve wholeheartedly. Whatever you do, serve wholeheartedly. Okay, that's the what. That's the what. But Paul is rarely content telling us the what to do without giving us the why. Um, which is so cool, because the Bible is not just about what. Oh, just follow these rules. No, it's, it's, it's about the why. And we got to know the why. Why are we to serve wholeheartedly? Why should we work hard? Why should we give our wholehearted effort to our work as a teacher or a, a tutor or a stay-at-home mom or a, a waitress or a flight attendant or whatever? Look again at, at verse 7. Serve wholeheartedly, that's the what, as if you were serving the Lord, not people. This is amazing what Paul is saying here. This is absolutely amazing. This is a game changer right here. When we are serving someone at work, we are actually serving Jesus. When we are serving someone at work, we are actually serving the Lord. Work is an opportunity to serve Jesus by serving others. So when we work, putting budgets together or fixing a computer or serving in law enforcement or answering the phone or whatever. When we work, we are serving Jesus. So this is kind of like Undercover Boss Divine Edition, right? Have you ever seen that show, right? Undercover Boss, you know, where this, this CEO of a company um, disguises him or herself um, and then they go out into their company, you know, one of the restaurants or something and, and um, they, they, they work alongside of other people and supposedly no one knows who they are, but I don't know how they do that with that video camera there, you know? People have seen the show, but I don't know how long, whatever. But anyway, it's kind of a cool concept. They disguise themselves and, and so, and suddenly they see they're a, tip of, they're a trainee or something, and they begin to see these employees that, you know, maybe could care less, couldn't care less about the job they do. But then they also see these amazing employees who are going above and beyond, even in difficult circumstances in their lives and all that. They're going above and beyond. They love the company, and they don't realize that the CEO is working alongside of them. 
but they're working hard. They're serving wholeheartedly. Can you, can you imagine the impact, how it would impact our work if every day we realize Jesus is my boss. Jesus is my boss, and he is with me. He is watching me. We are working with him and for him. We're working with him and working for him. In, in that perspective, our work becomes this, an ex, it becomes an expression of love and gratitude to him for his work on our behalf, on the cross, for his love for us. And this perspective is especially helpful when we're in a job where we're not noticed or we're not appreciated or we have a boss or a coach that doesn't deserve our respect. And the temptation in that kind of a situation is just don't give it. The boss doesn't deserve it. I'm not going to give it. That's the temptation, right? To not give it, to not serve well, to not work hard because your boss doesn't deserve it. But Paul says here, no, 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 no. You're forgetting something. You are serving Jesus, not your boss. You're serving Jesus, not your boss. You are serving Jesus in the way you work. Jesus is your boss. Jesus is your master. You have the opportunity to make him proud, to bring Jesus glory in the way you work, in the way you fix a car, the way you put on a roof, the way you care for your children, the way you take food orders, the way you teach, the way you do payroll. You are serving Jesus in the way you work. You're serving him. Now, the other why that Paul mentions, one, is because we serve wholeheartedly, and then the why is because we're serving the Lord. But then there's a second why Paul mentions here, and that's that there are rewards in heaven for how we work. And this, this is always the coolest part of Undercover Boss, if you've seen the show. Um, at the end, it's this big reveal. And he or she, the CEO, kind of brings this employee in. They don't know what's going on. Bring them into a, the, their office, and they you know, show them their disguise before or whatever, and they take it off. And now they realize, I was that guy you were training. And it's an awesome moment because the, the CEO is just gushing over the job that they did when they didn't realize they were working alongside of him or her. They're just gushing over the job that they did and how awesome and all, there's always some rewards in like amazing ways. You know, I'm gonna pay for your college or I'm gonna, you know, your kids situation. I mean, it's just a cool moment where they get rewarded so awesome. Their hard work was seen and it was valued and it was rewarded. It's a cool moment in the show. See, Paul says, Paul says in verse 8, the Lord will reward each one for, what, what, for whatever good they do. See, the way we work now matters in terms of our experience of eternity. Now, this, please remember, this is not a salvation issue. This is not a salvation issue. You know, trying to work hard, clean up my life so that God will let me into heaven or earn God's acceptance. No, 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 no. That was taken care of on the cross when Jesus died for all of our sins. There is nothing that you can do to earn God's acceptance and love. All he asks is that you receive it by faith. Just place your trust in Jesus. When you do that, Jesus forgives your sin. He welcomes you into a relationship with him. You are now on the team. You're in the family. Nothing can change that. But here's the deal. When, 
when we're in the family, when we're on the team, nothing can change that. But, but when we're in a part of the family of God, once you're a part of the team, there are rewards that are going to be given by God based on what you do. Salvation does not take away the concept of rewards. It's all over the place in scripture. To our giving, all these things. And this is one of the places as well. Relates to our work. There are rewards given to us by God in heaven based on what we do, how we work. So what Paul is saying is that how you work now directly impacts your rewards in heaven. When you do good work for a boss who's a jerk, when you do a good job and no one sees you, no one notices, no one seems to notice, God sees you. God sees you. He notices. Your reward is coming. Maybe not in a bonus check at the end of the year, but in an eternal bonus that will blow you away. I don't know what that means exactly in terms of reward, what what's specifically that's going to look like in heaven, but we know it's going to be amazing because God does good work, right? Um, this is a promise that God makes. Now, at the end of this passage then, the end of this passage, Paul then applies this to masters. So he uses the same principles, but he kind of applies it to masters, i.e. to bosses, those in authority, coaches, you know, that, that kind of thing. And he says, following Jesus impacts how you treat the people under you. You were not to threaten them. You're not to be harsh with them. You, you, were, you, were, able, you were able to demonstrate, you're, you're also to demonstrate love and respect in how you treat them and how you speak to them. And the reason, because Paul says God is the master of all of you. He's the master of all of us. Even though there are authority structures here on earth, God doesn't show favoritism in how he views us. Just because you may be in charge in that particular situation or work environment or whatever, God doesn't like you any more than the people who clean your building or answer your phone or whatever. God values both of you the same. He values both of you the same. Both of you are given the privilege of glorifying him in what you do and how you do it. Okay, so think about this upcoming week. Think about this upcoming week. Think, think about how you're going to spend your time this week, okay? For most of us here, a large percentage of this week will be spent putting out effort, doing work, as a student, an athlete, a stay-at-home dad, an employee of some company, or whatever. Okay, right? We can all agree that that's going to be happening. Now, here's the deal. What if I told you that all of that time, all of that time spent working is an opportunity to give worship to God? Because, see, we think of worship as singing songs of praise to God, right? That's worship, singing songs of praise. But Paul is saying, Paul is saying, yeah, that's true. But Paul is saying, your life, your life can give God praise by how you work. Your work can be an act of worship to God. So for the past few weeks, 
um, on my day off on Fridays, um, I've taken my son Josh um, on a bike ride, and we bring the, the neighbor, uh, a very cute neighbor kid comes along with us. Um, and we, we ride our bikes to this gas station. It's about a mile from our home that has 69-cent Slurpees. Can I get an amen? That's really cool. Um, and so every time we go, every time we go, there is this employee there who is so incredibly helpful and kind to us. I mean, when my son Josh makes a mess at the Slurpee machine, which happens all the time, um, she is so gracious. She is so patient with him. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. Um, and uh, the, the last time we went, the, the neighbor kid that came with us, um, he didn't have enough money for, uh, to pay for the snacks that, that he was buying. He was a little short on grandma's funds, um, and I didn't realize this was going on. I was already out the door, so I, didn't, or I would have pay, helped pay, but, but I didn't know. But later on, because he didn't have enough money, later on he told me how when he gave her the, the money that he had, which was a little short of what he needed, she just smiled and said, I got it, I got it. And every time we purchase something, she has this big smile and she says, bless you, bless you. I mean, I can just tell she loves Jesus. I can just tell she loves Jesus. She, she exudes this atmosphere of Christ-likeness. And honestly, it makes me proud. It makes me proud to see and to experience a Christian who worships her Savior in how she works, in how well she serves in how kind and gracious and loving she is to everyone who comes in that place. Now look, I don't know what your work situation is. I mean, you may, you may hate going into work. You may feel like your job is total drudgery. You may feel like it is meaningless. It just feels meaningless I don't know how, you know, whatever, whatever you feel about your work, and I am not, I'm not trying to offer some simplistic answers to these vocational challenges, but I do believe, I do believe that God is wanting to give us a new perspective on what we do and how we do it. No matter what you do for a living, no matter what you do for a living, homemaker, receptionist, teacher, nurse, no matter, what, no matter what you do for a living. Every minute of that can be an act of worship to God. When you serve wholeheartedly as if you're serving Jesus himself. And what you may discover, what you may discover is that your decision to serve Jesus in this way can actually shift the atmosphere of your workplace as you exude the presence of Jesus in how you work. I mean, Jesus is an incredible boss to work for, right? Can we agree? I mean, Jesus is an incredible boss to work for. He gave his all for us on the cross. What an amazing privilege we have to serve him wholeheartedly in how we work. What an amazing privilege we have. All right, let's pray together. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak right now. We wanna just give opportunity here 
This is when we take what we've heard and now we're gonna ask the Lord, okay, what are you saying to me? So let's just do that. God, what, what, do you, what, what is God saying to you about your work, your vocation, what occupies a good portion of your time? What is he saying to you about that? Are you, are you serving wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord? So let's just ask the Lord, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to each one of us about our work, our vocation, our occupation, what occupies our time? What are you saying to us? Just speak to us right now. We pray. So if he's bringing things to mind, attitudes maybe that have crept in, just tell him, Lord, I just, I want to serve you in the way I work. Just ask for his help to do that in a way that honors him. Lord, thank you that our work matters and how we work matters. And I pray for each person here and whatever the, however they fill in that blank of what work looks like for them, whether they get paid for it or not, but whatever that looks like, I pray for each one of us, you would change our, just change our paradigm for how we see our work and, and the opportunity we have to serve you. I just want to pray for those who are discouraged about their work or frustrated, just you would pour life into that work situation, just into our hearts in the midst of that. Change our whole perspective, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. And while you're just bowing your head there, I just want to give another invitation just related to something I mentioned a moment ago about rewards. And you know, you, you, None of us can earn our way to heaven. None of us can earn our way into a relationship with God. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. He died as our Savior. He died to pay for all the wrong that we've done. So that when we trust in him, he forgives our sin and he welcomes us into his family. We're, we're welcomed onto his team. And if there are any of you, there may be some of you here and you're like, I don't know if I've ever done that. Or you know you want to do that right now. It's not about cleaning up your life. It's about receiving a gift Jesus has for you. If you want to enter into a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Just pray in the silence of your heart with me right now. So dear God, I acknowledge that I am a sinner and my, my sins separate me from you. But I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. You died in my place. And I choose to place my trust in you, Jesus. I now receive your life in exchange for all of my sin and doubt and failure. I just receive your life right now. Forgive me of all of my sins. Come live in me forever. 
changing me from the inside out through the power of your love. So God, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer, help them grow in this relationship with you. It's an amazing relationship. It's based on your love. It's rooted in your love. And all that we do flows out of that. I pray that for all of us, that we would be filled with your Holy Spirit. Continually, you would use us as we serve you and whatever we're doing, as we serve you wholeheartedly. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for this opportunity now to worship you. We love you, God. So why don't we stand as we enter into a time to respond to the Lord through, through worship.